I'm Stuart Sheldon. My name's Ron Rothberg. 30 years ago, I was on Wall Street. I was the youngest vice president at my fancy company, but that's not what I wanted to do. After spending nearly 25 years in media, I knew things were changing, both in the industry and inside me. Swan Dive shares the powerful stories of those who had the clarity and backbone to make a major life pivot to their vision. I took a Swan Dive. I have been an artist ever since, and it's the best choice I ever made. Getting closer to who you really are. That's Swan Dive. Photographer Josue Rivas is an indigenous futurist, using his camera to tell stories. But even the act of photography is riddled with false narratives. The language we use for photography, taking or extracting, which is like shooting, you know, like you're, you're shooting something, you're, you're capturing something. Those are words that were used for colonization. Oh, I'm going to go you know, take a photo of my subject. Why do I have to subject someone in order to photograph? The intention of a lot of this work that I'm doing and a lot of these different processes is to think ahead, is to think about, for example, the next 100 years of storytelling. Telling stories while reclaiming and regenerating the narrative. Dive with us into another edition of Swan Dive. From the Peacock and Park Studios in Jacksonville, Florida, and in Costa Rica at the Fancy Nasty Studios, this is another edition of Swan Dive. My name is Ron Rothberg. On the other continent is Stuart Sheldon. Stuart, so thankful again to continue this amazing collaboration we call Swan Dive. Yes, it is an amazing collaboration, even made more amazing by the added layer of the Wide Awakes and this activation that's been ongoing now for several months um, with coming on 10 incredibly elevated human beings all leaning into this we is greater than me paradigm, serving the, serving the greater good. And um, our guest today is no exception and someone that uh, I'm personally excited to get to know. It's a fascinating collection of, as they call themselves, and I'm finding out every week, superheroes. And the latest no superhero in the Bat Cave is none other than Josue Rivas. Hello, Josue. How are you doing this morning? Good, good. Thank you for having me on today. No problem. Let me give you a proper introduction. Josue is an indigenous futurist, creative director, visual storyteller, and educator working at the intersection of art, journalism, and social justice. His work aims to challenge the mainstream narrative about indigenous peoples, build awareness about issues affecting native communities across Turtle Island, and be a visual messenger for those in the shadows of our society. He's a 2020 Catchlight Leadership Fellow, Magnum Foundation Photography and Social Justice Fellow, founder of the Standing Strong Project, co-founder of the Natives Photograph, and winner of the 2018 Photo Evidence Book Award with World Press Photo. His work has appeared in National Geographic, The Guardian, The New York Times, Apple, and Nike N7, among many others. Josue, you're coming to us this morning, early in the morning on the West Coast from Portland, Oregon. Welcome to Swan Dive. Thank you, thank you. Um, I also want to add to that, um, that long bio <laughs> that uh, I'm, I'm on the... I want to acknowledge, actually, that, you know, the indigenous peoples of where I'm standing, um, the Chinook, uh, the Clackamas, uh, and a lot of other tribes that live along the Columbia River. Um, yeah, really excited to be here. I think that, I think that uh, 
you know, day one of the next 21 days of December are going to be interesting. <laughs> so I'm excited to start it off with, with this, uh, you know, with this conversation. Yes. Josue, in your TED Talk, which I watched last night, you said, quote, my dream is that indigenous people, especially indigenous youth, will learn about the power of the camera as a tool for resistance, as a tool for healing, and most importantly, as a tool for hope. You are an artist, you are a photographer, you are an indigenous young man. Tell us what that dream looks like to you. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think that um, as someone that grew up, you know, with with a father who was a photographer, who was a, you know, a storyteller, um, but also was heavily addicted to alcohol. Um, I grew up hating photography, actually. I grew up hating cameras and grew up um, resisting, you know, the yeah, resisting that, that, that tool. And I think that when, you know, when I turned 21, um, and I went through a ceremony, uh, a healing ceremony that allowed me to understand my, my, my true self. And then also my, my power, you know, it was, it was that the healing is also power and that we can also use these tools that we often, um, block or disregard as just tools, you know, for healing. And, and, and for me, it was a camera. It was picking up my dad's camera at 21. And yeah, from there, I just, I just knew, I just knew that this thing could, could help us, you know, have self realizations and also reflections. You know, I, I really think that for me, picking up a camera and then being able to share with other people, and then also being able to like share with other people how you can how you can heal yourself with that that that's been that's been the journey. <laughs> yeah, that- you know another of your quotes, which in, in the context of you were taking portraits and are taking portraits of indigenous persons from various tribes, and one of the things you said about taking portraits of indigenous persons was the time will come when you will reveal yourself to yourself, you see yourself and you're okay with it. That can potentially shift their perceptions of themselves. It's a challenging thing to be an indigenous person on this earth right now, especially in North America, unquote. So here you are really using your camera, not just to help yourself reveal yourself to yourself, but to help others reveal themselves to themselves, which is an incredible gift. Talk about a gift to give people their, uh, 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 their first glimpse, perhaps, of their authentic self. Um, tell us about that process when you're in the studio and you're doing that with someone and what that feels like and what occurs. Yeah, definitely. I think that, um, you know, when, when you use these tools like a camera or, or, you know, at this point, you know, different tools like virtual reality and augmented reality, I think that is almost like regeneration instead of extraction. So, for example, I think a lot about the the work of, for example, Edward S. Curtis, um, and and a lot of the you know a lot of the images that that have been imprinted in our consciousness about indigenous peoples were not made by indigenous peoples, and up until today, we 
continue to you know to to see and imagine indigenous peoples as this like romanticized ideas of who who they are and who we are but also about the process i think that the process that those images were made um in its essence was extractive so for me when i came to realize that you can use the same tool to not extract but to rather regenerate um then that's when i that's when i came up with my project where it was you know instead of me being the photographer i was the facilitator i was i was setting up the tools the cameras the lights the recording devices for people to tell their own story especially for indigenous people to tell their own story hmm. um and i think that what happens there is that one you tap into the genius of each individual and then through that tapping into the genius of each individual you tap into the genius of the collective um and that's important because when people see themselves and when people are vulnerable with themselves through a process that has been historically extractive for example i think a lot about the language we use for photography for example taking or extracting um in a different way as well which is like shooting you know like you're you're shooting something you know mm-hmm. you're you're capturing something mm. and then you 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 think about it for a second you're like wait hold on those are image those are words that were used for colonization and then you think about for example like oh i'm going to go t- you know take a photo of my subject mm. and then you think about that you're like wait why why do i have to subject someone in order to photograph and so i think that overall the the intention of a lot of this work that i'm doing and a lot of these different processes is to think ahead is to think about for example the next 100 years of storytelling of visual storytelling and how we already are in a moment of huge amounts of shifts in how we're telling our story and that in that process we can realize that our story it's so valuable to the collective because mm-hmm. we for we, you know we we've been told for a long time as human beings that we're not worth it you know you look you turn on the tv you look on your phone you're often told that hey if you don't have this you you know you might not be as cool as this person mm-hmm. or hey if you don't look like this you might not be as cool as this person or you might not be worth you know what you really worth mm-hmm. so i think that for me it's this process of people photographing themselves telling their own story it's it's just the beginning of what i see as the as that indigenous futurism you know as the as the future where collectively as humanity we realize that we're all indigenous can i ask so you talked about that ceremony when you were 21 and now what you just described with your um i'm not going to i was about to use the word subjects with your people that you reveal themselves is it similar in some respects to that ceremony the way you go about your art now yes yeah, so, so you know this year was this year and last year were very very difficult i think like actually after standing rock you know after 2016 uh i was dealing with just a lot of ptsd and a lot of trauma from not only standing rock but also i think from just understanding that our ancestors a lot of our ancestors you know not just indigenous people from north america um something was taken from them and 
in the process of extraction. See, again, it goes back to are you giving, are you receiving, are you are you giving, are you taking? You know, um, in the process of extraction, we, you know, some of that was passed on to every single one of us up up until now, up until you know ourselves. So, for me, when I think about this process of, you know, people making images and and how do we do it? You know, what's the setting look like? What does it smell like? What does it sound like? It's a ritual. I mean, my personal ritual has helped me in the last two years. And then I realized, wait, hold on. You can do this. And it doesn't have to be over spiritual or over, like, you know, new age at all. It just has to be genuine to who you are. And I think that I'm realizing as I feed my ancestors, as I cut my hair for my ancestors, and as I offer to my ancestors, that I'm here to, yeah, to, to, to give. I'm here to provide that. So the ritual process, you know, process, it's, it's the way to go. I, I really think that, I mean, again, going back to photography, it's, it's, it's extractive in, in, in the way that we've been using it. So for me, making a, you know, having a photo session instead of a photo shoot, I don't want to shoot anybody, right? Like I want to have a session. Let's have a, you know, you can call it, we can call it whatever we want, but what we really do is we're there for that person where everybody that's in the production is there for that specific person's well-being and for them to share the story and feel safe to share the story. Right? Yeah. The value of language has never been more apparent. Uh, language has been abused at such a contemptuous level, such a dangerous level, such a criminal level recently, of course, politically. Um, but taking back the words um, and to tell the stories is something that is paramount and that is a recurring theme in a lot of the people that we're speaking to. Um, let's get back to your story um, in the, in the literal, literally your story, from what tribe do you come and what is your lineage and heritage? Uh, and how old are you at this moment? Uh, I just turned 31 last year. So I want to be okay. 32 this year. Yeah. So what's your, tell us about your tribe and about your people and your heritage. Yeah. So my, my, uh, lineage, my, my tribe lineage is from the Mexica, which, um, often we're called Aztecs, um, and that comes from, you know, from the side of my father, from Mexico City, uh, from Tenochtitlan. And from my mom, we come from Guanajuato, Acámbaro, Guanajuato, which is in, in Mexico, in the state of, um, instead of Guanajuato. And that is the Otomis people. So my grandmother, um, she's right here. Beautiful. Hola, abuela. Yeah, she's, she's always she's always here watching me. Uh, um, yeah, she, she you know she went through a lot. Um, there's a part of me to the um, you know my mom never met, met her father. Uh, she never my grandmother up until last year when she passed away, ninety nine years old. She never told who her father was. Um, so sometimes when you are in that position, you have to dig. You know, you don't go to ancestry.com. You know, you you have to go to the ancestors. You have to go to the spirits to you know to get those questions those questions answered. Um, and we came to find out, you know, through through a good friend, a good 
mentor and, and medicine person down in Peru. Um, then my grandfather, he was a black man. Um, and there was a lot of rape involved in, in you know, in the coming of my mother into this world. Um, and yeah, it's, it's again, going back to the, to the thing about feeding your ancestors is like, how do you feed, you know, that ancestor? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, of course. It's a, it's quite a dilemma and quite a conflict, particularly when you put it next to this beautiful human being, your abuela, who you obviously, I can look in your face now and see the feeling, the depth of your love and your respect and your gratitude for what she gave you and gave your your family. Continues to give, I can see. And continues to give. My question to you is, educate us about the power, the beauty, the unique, distinctive quality or gifts of your people. I would love to know just a little kernel of, of something magnificent from the mouths of you, you know, the, the, the lineage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, there's this beautiful quote that I learned through, through one of my relatives that says, at the least we will leave flowers at the least we will leave songs. And when I think about the, the quote, you know, that, that resonates up until today for me and, and for a lot of my relatives, it's that, when you know when folks were were being beaten down by the conquistadors, when folks were you know being persuaded you know into thinking that that these these people from from across the ocean were 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 superior to to you know to the indigenous peoples, especially to my peoples, um, we we realized that we will live through eternity, you know that 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 work that for example my tribe was, you know, doing by feeding the sun, by, by praising the sun, by connecting. And also I think that there's also a lot to learn about, about that because I think that a lot of people have watched like shitty movies, you know, about like indigenous people, like Mel Gibson's uh, Apocalypto, you know, like you watch that and you're like, wait, hold on. Like these people were savages. Right, because that's what they want you to think, and the truth is, is that our, you know, especially the Mexica people, were not necessarily doing ritual uh, as is portrayed in, you know, in these films, and and I think that that's important because, for example, when you say, you know, at least we will leave flowers, at least we will leave songs, that is a warrior thing to say. Instead of you know we're gonna take your heart out and we're gonna put it up to the sky and like give it to the sun you know sure um, so I think that it's really important for me when I think about that specific quote that you know it reminds me that for example I want my son to you know to be treated you know not as a savage but rather as a as a poet right um, and I think that you know that's what has come from me is is that these these teachings of, of especially Mexica folks that are, yeah, that, that are like you know praising the sun that that that, that is our our source of life, you know, and in a lot of ways uh, in combination with water, you know, in combination with the spirit of water, and I think that a lot of a lot of what I try to teach my son 
about our culture and our teachings is that there's, you know, there's a lot of honoring that needs to be done. And especially to the sun. I mean, I, I, I cannot emphasize that enough. <laughs> well, isn't it? I'm sure, I'm sure it's no coincidence then that you name the name of your son translates to the one that brings the light. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Tonatio, yeah. So yeah, that was that was interesting. Yeah, that was an interesting way to name my son. It was, it came in an interesting way. It was beautiful. Um, Tell us. And when you, if you ever meet him, you you will be like, oh my god, this kid is totally like the sun energy. Um, well, I don't want to share too much because it's a little private. But I do want to say that you know that we don't ask enough and we don't give enough. For example, when you know when our son was going to be born, there was a level of um kind of like right now in this moment where we're gonna you know we're shifting we're 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 evolving into a into a different space um it was the red blood moon i don't know if you guys remember sure yeah, absolutely and like yeah and then it was like you know remembering that that when we ask we literally ask our you know ancestors our guides whatever we want to call them um we will receive you know and and I think that for us, my family and I, we, you know, we asked, you know, and, and it wasn't, it wasn't easy. You know, sometimes things are not easy when you're asking for something big, you know, like, I feel like we, we've been taught that, you know, you should show up and pay for it and you should be given to you. And I think that, you know, there's so much more to it. And for us, when, he, when, you know, we heard his name and he was giving his name, it was definitely a painful moment. <laughs> you know, we were definitely like, whoa, hold on. Like, this is this is important and it's going to come at a price and you need to, you know, we forgot about, we have forgotten about the, the power of sacrifice. And again, not sacrificing like, oh, you're going to take your heart out and put it onto the sun, but rather, you know, of ceremonial, you know, offering. You know, mm-hmm. I'm a, I don't fully understand the the <clears throat> the what you're describing in terms of oh no, this is pain and we're going to pay a price for his name. I, and and if you don't, if it's private, that's of course fine. Mm-hmm. But I just don't exactly understand what you meant when you said that. It's for example, growing up without a father, you know, without a present father, really understanding that our patriarchal lineages have been wounded for a long time, when you are presented with the opportunity to bring another, another, you know, descendant, you know, a future ancestor, really, mm. uh, there's a huge responsibility that comes with that. And I think that just like I was speaking with, you know, seeing yourself or, or you know, revealing yourself to yourself, that was a moment that I was revealing myself to myself and also revealing a lot of my trauma. So really relieving, uh, revealing a lot of my, my hopes and, and what I want, you know, what kind of father do I want to be? And that, that wasn't easy, you know, because mm-hmm. when you have, when you don't have a reference point for what father you want to be, and then here this is opportunity to bring another beautiful being to this world that is a male, you know, in, in, you know, in, in energy, really, um, it's a warrior, then that's painful because because you don't want them to suffer like you do. Yeah. Thank you. That is thank you for that clarification. That that is incredibly powerful. 
Yeah, no, yeah, sure. Going back to your poem, man, it sounds like you've just planted a flower and you're writing a song, you know, mm-hmm. with with, mm-hmm. with him. You know, when do you break the cycle of intergenerational trauma? And I think that that's, that's that it really needs to stop with us. I, I really believe that this this generation of, of parents that are on the earth right now are birthing like remarkable beings. These these, yeah. these beings that have never that are gonna step into a technological reality that we never stepped into when we were little kids. Right. And then all of a sudden you're like, wait, hold on, I'm bringing my 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 child into this reality, and how and how much of how much do I want to take care of myself and heal and figure out my shit so that I, they don't have to deal with that and fulfill their potential for them to fulfill their potential and me supporting that potential as parents. Right. And I, I think there's a lot, a lot in there. I mean, I mean, maybe other people before me have talked about that, but you know, another thing that's been a, a, a regular topic of conversation is how these children today are remarkable. The youth of today are remarkable and it's our job to some degree to just get out of the way and let them, you know, let them take the reins and, 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 gallop fully you know and um and i think there's a lot to be said for that but that's the um, difficult task of being a parent you know how much yeah. you lead and how much you let them lead you and that will be your uh, that's been my journey i hope that's everyone's journey to to let them run you know i'll also say Josue, that even with reference points it's difficult to be a father it's difficult to be a parent um, it's, 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 it's a challenge for everyone. I mean, that's almost trite to say, but it is true. Um, and I, I, I also love the quote, the best thing a father can do for a child is to love its mother. You know, mm. and it, you love your, you love your partner and you cherish each other and you keep showing up to serve others and your heritage and your legacy. And that child will be a wise warrior indeed. And uh, and uh, I, it feels like you are living an elevated life and a life of service. And I think any child that has the privilege to live in that home um, cannot help but become elevated, him or herself. So so that's a, so I thank you and I and I honor you for living that life. And I want to talk about that life for a moment. You do many things as an artist and as an activist. You're the founder of The Standing Project, and I want to learn more about that. Uh, you're the co-founder of Natives Photograph. Um, you're the creative director for a super talented young indigenous rap artist named Shutez Kat, mm-hmm. who I listen to and who's killing the game. Incredible. Um, you're the curator at indigenous TikTok. <laughs> you know, you're, you're having fun, but you're making a, you're making a dent. So tell us about some of these projects and why they're important to you and what, what we can learn from these various artistic endeavors. Yeah, definitely. Um, the Stanley Strong project was birthday from Stanley Rock, actually. Um, I lived there for seven months. And it was, you know, it was a journey, you know, just just from beginning to end. Um, and also, I think that looking back in retrospect, it was it was an awakening. It was this moment of um, 
not only protesting was that's what most people saw, but rather, um, you know, I think that that the, the fire was being nurtured, you know, like that sacred fire that was in the middle of the camp, and and all those people coming from all over the world, and you know, obviously there was oh, there's that darkness, is that shadow in you know in that duality, but also I think that. Um, that that intention of that fire, which continues on, you know, in, in a lot of us, um, if not all of us, I think that that's where everything started for this project, where it was this moment that, uh, you know, looking at at the industry of, of storytelling, of media, and then seeing how a lot of people were coming to Standing Rock um, and trying to tell the story of Standing Rock and almost like, you know, going in there and, and parachuting and then leaving, you know, after Monday, you know, coming over for the weekend because there's going to be a big fight between the cops and and the protesters and then, you know, go back to New York and, like, you know, go edit and submit your photos so that, you know, to me it was just kind of like I was just, I'll be honest, like I was really annoyed by it. <laughs> I, was mm-hmm. like, I was like, wait, hold on. So you're just going to come here for a few days or come here for a week or whatever, photograph, from a completely, you haven't invested in 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 this community. You haven't come here. You haven't sat with people, and not not that I'm saying that because I did or other indigenous peoples did that they had to do it. But I did feel that again, it was this awakening of wow, um, we're coming together for the probably the biggest prayer in modern history, and and what we post on, you know, on the main page of an article is like a photo of a teepee and a person with feathers. And, right. and, and, and the reason why that was that is because the photo editor is like, we need photos of people on their teepees with feathers. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Because that's what Native Americans are. And then you're like, wait, hold on. In, you know, this is much more complex than that. So for me, a lot of questions about representation, a lot of questions of who's telling the story. Are we in a moment where we can allow indigenous peoples to tell their own story? And then I, I think that for me, that inspired me to think about, again, that, that process, because it's not just about the final image. The final image can be anything, can be a beautiful image, can be a well-composed image, but it's the process of how you make that image that that will carry and it will have the impact that it could have. So so then that's when I realized that I, that I, my place was to be a facilitator instead of to be the photographer. And um, yeah, that's where people, you know, photograph themselves, they write on their image and then they write a legacy statement. So it's very important to think about this. It's a legacy statement for the future generations. So when we look back at those images from Edward S. Curtis or from other photographers that have documented indigenous, indigenous communities that are not from the community, you often don't hear the voice of that person. Mm-hmm. You often wonder, okay, what what the heck did Sitting Bull think about? What right. did he eat for breakfast? Yeah, what right. was his hopes for the future? Right. But you don't get to see that because the only thing that you see is, is you know, a stoic image of Sitting Bull just looking super Indian or indigenous. Sorry for about that. I don't, I don't like the word Indian. You never heard their voice. So for me, my intention was to say, hey, let's let's put that voice in the image, literally on the image. Let the people write on it so they can engage with their own image. And then let's put it up in a building. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, the, the Standing Strong Project literally defined as on the site, a space for indigenous peoples to make our own image and reclaim our narrative, period. And that, and, and you're taking it a step further by actually projecting it and, 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 and posting it and really um, 
propagating that image in all kinds of beautiful formats, um, which is the artistry that, you know, you bring to the narrative, you know, so you, you make it much more compelling and much more available to the rest of us. You talked about Standing Rock and the trauma that you had there two years ago. Was it both that trauma and awakening? Uh, was the trauma the part where you saw how it was being covered? Or was that both trauma and awakening? You know, it's difficult to think about that awakening without, because again, awakenings are not easy either. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like, oh, I'm awake now. I'm enlightened. It's like, no, that's not, that's not really how it works. You have to put in, you have to put in the offerings, you have to get in there. And I think that what I see, it was an awakening, a collective awakening, really a, a global awakening, because people from all four directions came. They were indigenous people from the Sami peoples of Europe. You know what I'm saying? So, like, mm-hmm. we were not just dealing with, like, oh, Native Americans, feathers and headdresses and teepees. It was, like, no, like, indigenous peoples. Like, like if you were to send a legion of people to another planet of these are indigenous peoples, they were standing around. And I think that that awakening was also painful because, you know, when, you, when you're fighting a pipeline, when you're fighting a, a corporation that is highly embedded with politics, you know, with extraction. Again, it goes, it goes back to the photography thing. It's like, are you doing extractive shit or are you doing regenerative shit? And they were doing extractive shit. So like that was painful because when you see people coming to pray and to stop a pipeline because they're saying, yo, this is wrong. And then you see them once again, get beaten in front of you, you know, that that triggers that intergenerational trauma of, for example, like in my case, like my ancestors being, you know, treated like shit by the Spanish, you know, and and not just my ancestors, but then you see like, oh wow, people from New Zealand, oh they deal with the same thing. Oh wait, hold on, people in Australia, oh they deal with the same thing, and then you start seeing all these different places where it's the same story. Is let's beat the crap out of you so that you we can get the indigenous out of you. And we can colonize you. Mm. And I think that for me, that was the, and I think that that's a lot of my, my work and my, my own healing is, is for not even forgiving, but just having a soft heart to try to understand why people do that. You know, why, 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 why do we, why do we take and sometimes often take to the point of exhaustion? And, and, and exhausting the resources because we see them as resources, not as a source. Just like you were talking, like, you know, about like our, our matrix, right? And like our, our, our moms, you know, and, and our wives and our sisters, like it's a paradigm of patriarchal, you know, s- supremacy. And, and I think that that's a standing rock. I think that it was the beginning of a return to the mother, a return mm-hmm. to the matriarchal, you know, matriarchal paradigm. And I, so it was painful. It was also, you know, all these things. And, th- and that all affects my work. And that all affected why, you know, why I started doing the Standing Strong project, why I started doing the Natives Photograph project with Daniela Salgman, why, you know, indigenous TikTok, even though I kind of hated TikTok at first, I was like, wait, hold on. There's something happening here that has never happened before, where like indigenous people's, don't depend on that outsider to come and tell their story and put it in National Geographic. 
and tell their story for them and give them a voice because they already have a voice. Like, like we, we kind of been doing things backwards a little bit where, you know, it all comes again from that savior, you know, the savior paradigm of like, oh, you're less than I'm going to come and save you. You know, mm. just, just do the thing. Just, you know, I'm giving you. And the thing is that it's not like that. It's some, you know, I'll, I'll tell you a story really quick. So one time we were going to the Black Hills in, in South Dakota and we're going out there to pray with, with some Lakota folks that were trying to change the name of, of like the peak. So we went up there. On the way up, there was this blind young man with his mother. His mother was kind of older and he he was blind. So they asked me if I can help him on the way up. So I did. And then the next the, the night I had a dream that this moth came and, and started speaking to me and started guiding me. And then you realize, or I realize actually, that you think you're helping other people to by guiding them, you know, like because he's blind or oh, he, he cannot see. I'm being of service to him. In reality, he was guiding me. Wow. So I think that what we forget about sometimes is that as we, you know, as we're moving into this, this paradigm, especially of storytelling, and I cannot emphasize enough, is because let the person that you're collaborating with guide you just like you would your, with your son or like with your children or like with your dog, you know, you don't tell, I mean, you kind of tell, you know, your dog where to go, but you know what I mean? Like, like, like there's a flow there that I think that the patriarchal way of making images um, told us that we have to subject someone that we have to be like, no, you, I'm the professional and, and you're there. And like, you know, I see I'm helping you. Like I'm making your life better because I came to your reservation and like, I spent a lot of time here and like, you know, I photograph you and I put you on the map. It's like, that's some, that's some like Christopher Columbus shit. So I think that it's really important. And again, and, and, and it's not, it, there's no judgment there. Like there's no judgment on like, oh, yo, like you're all fucked up for doing this and, 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 and normalizing this because you look at the media industry, it's like super normal. It's like, it's normal for a, you know, an average American from a certain, you know, demographic to go to places and all the doors open for them. They're like, oh yeah, I'm here for you know for this publication, and you know, I'm gonna make your life better. And like I'm super here, and, and that's so amazing. That's that's great. But there's a part of it that is about intention that I think has never been talked about. And I've seen it, like I've seen I saw it at Sandy Rock. I, I saw it up until like last week, where you can still have great intentions, you can still have, you know, you're trying to help. But sometimes you need to let a person that you're trying to help tell you what they need, not mm. you assume what they need. It seems to me that your relationship with uh, Shutez Kat is somewhat that. This is a young kid, and I urge you all to go and check him out. His name is spelled X-I-U-H-T-E-Z-C-A-T-L. He's also a descendant of Mashika of the Aztec. Um, but uh, somewhere I read it, his kind of energy described as boombox boombox warfare. <laughs> and in one of his songs I listened to, a song called El Cielo, which I, I guess you you directed and produced, um, his lyric is, I've been wide awake, I'm sick of the cold, I'm acting okay when I'm really afraid. 
don't want them to know. If, they, if they're trying to get by, how are we going to live right? We didn't come here for free after paying the price. And he talks about the trauma running as deep as the love. And it, to me, it seems like you're, it's again, it's you with the blind kid, not that he's a blind kid, but who's guiding who, who's teaching who, who's bringing the wisdom to this relationship. Frankly, it's a total harmonious relationship from where I stand, what you bring, Josue, and what this young, this young artist bring, you know, are, are both together have different types of power, different types of wisdom, but collectively, um, the, the world is better for all of it. Yeah. I mean, I think the, you know, collaboration, especially with, with the Shuteska, he's only 20 years old. I mean, this kid has done remarkable things in the world at 20 years old, knowing that when I was his age or even, you know, just growing up in a, you know, thinking a little bit differently than, than most people, um, about the world and, and really about our future. Um, he, you know, I didn't have any mentors. I didn't have any like role models. I didn't have anybody that could be like, Hey, like, I'm, I'm glad you're thinking about that shit. Like, let me tell you about it. You know, like, let me, let me expand you on it. And I think that, um, with him, with his creativity and with his music, especially because he's been known as an activist most of his life since he was six years old, you know, now he's a musician. Now he's a rapper. Now he's 20 years old. Now he's really coming into a place of self-awareness and also, what the future looks like for his storytelling. And I think for me, I just, I, I do that, that I add my, whatever I can to, to his projects and to his career, because ultimately I know that he's here to help us all heal too. You know, they say the light, light, like attracts light. Um, so, you know, I mean, I'm not a perfect human being at all. Like I fucking have a hundred flaws or more flaws in that <laughs> shit. You know, what I mean? but what I do know is that, like, I try to my I try to surround myself with people that are just one that they're they're not full of bullshit. Like I really don't like people that that just bullshit around and like right. are not real with me. Sure. Um, and also just people that are uh, inspired to think about the future, and then also a big part of my community is understanding you know what we know what we call the average person like i think that that every person has genius in them and i really think that every person has something to offer to this world so i try to surround myself with people like that so those people are what makes my work and whatever it is that i put out into the world um effective in the way that it is is because it's not because only because of me and i think that that's really important because I feel that that's been one big lesson that I learned in the last few years is that you are only, you're only as great as the people around you. Um, and yeah. And, and I also think that there's a big part of it that, you know, for example, having people that will, will, will tell you the truth or that will, will really be truthful with you. Like I have a really good friend. Uh, it's a great artist and probably one of the best artists alive right now, Ernesto Riquerena. I don't know if you guys know Ernesto. Um, he he works with Shepard Ferry a lot um, and does his own, his own amazing work as well. Um, but Ernesto is one of those people that I think has been truthful in, in so many ways that, that has shaped me, you know, that has, that has, actually most of his work here is his, but um, that has really brought me into understanding that, um, you know, as males, as, as, you know, people that have been wounded 
especially the males for a long time, that we can regenerate it and move into a different direction. You know, like for example, with a drinking thing, I don't, I don't really drink. You know what I mean? Like, because sometimes you do exactly what your father does, or you sometimes you do the opposite. Mm, for and I sure. Think, I think for me, as a you know, as a 31 year old man, I'm realizing that what a lot of my father did was he was showing me what not to do. Yeah, I, I learned many of those same lessons. You know, we're, we're, we we usually lead this podcast with the question, uh, "What what is what was your swan dive?" We're 55 minutes in, and uh, I want I don't want it to get away from us. What was your swan dive, Josue? Mm, that's a good question. I think that for me, I actually think it's coming. Ah, if that makes any sense, but because I feel like there's been like microdoses of the swan dive mm-hmm. throughout my life, and I think that you know, for example, I can share this much. Like you know, when when I was seven, my my mother came to the U.S. and and I was left in Mexico. You know, with, with my with my father, um, who ended up not not taking care of me, uh, and I ended up on the streets, and. You know, as a child, you know, you you, you don't you do not supposed to be in the streets. You know what I mean? Sure. But it was like, okay, I saw that, I understand that, I see what that that energy, what that vibration is. And then later on, you know, came with my mother to the U.S. Started seeing a lot of that again later on. Had, went through a lot of traumatic shit later on. You start seeing these little micro doses to prepare you for that the shift and i and i think that individually i'm I'm going i'm gonna come to that soon but i also think that collectively we've been prepared for that swan dive mm-hmm. like how do you measure what the swan dive of the collective is yeah and i think yeah. it's coming <laughs> you you said that at the top you know the next 21 days you said that you're anxious or you're waiting for these next days to unfold the next month What's what's on the horizon? What is uh, what is driving? Is it anxiousness? Is it excitement? What's driving that? I think I think it's 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 a lot of intention, and then also understanding that um, that we have the capabilities to dream. You know, millions of dreams that have never been dreamed before. I think that that's, that's where a lot of my focus is for the next 21 days is knowing that collectively and also individually, but mo- most importantly, collectively, we, we, you know, we are that dream. You know, we are, there was a point in life where ancestors put down seats for us, but they knew they were never going to be able to see us eat those those fruits but here you are <laughs> like like seven generations before us there were people who were just like i'm you know i'm gonna you know not die and like make it through this you know battle or i'm gonna go across the atlantic and just get in there to america or you know i'm gonna come from the pacific ocean whatever it is you know and that to me is beautiful because that's what we are right now so what are we planting like, what are those seeds that we're not going to get to, mm-hmm. to see, you know, the fruits of it, but we're still going to do it because we know that's the right thing to do. 
Of course. And uh, tell us, you've done many things in a, in, a, in a relatively young age. What are you most proud of? There's, well, I think, hmm. honestly, like not dying by being killed by the police. Because <laughs> I grew up in the hood. Like I grew up in, in Orange County and it was, it was pretty rough. Um, in parts where I lived in Anaheim, it was, you know, it was, it was gang infested and it was, you know, a lot of times I, I, I would come home from, from school and I just, I just knew that I was like, you better not, you better not let people, you know, see, think that you're a gangster or that you're, you know, wearing yeah. the wrong clothes or, you know, say the wrong thing. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was, I, I was a lot of times where I could die actually. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that the, to me, to me, you know, warriorship, or being a warrior, it's, and there's a part of that, what you said already, it's, it's also, you know, relearning what that means. And I think that for me, as I'm, as I'm getting a little older, I'm relearning that, that a warrior can also be someone who protects the heart of the women. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I learned from, from an auntie, uh, auntie Pua that she said, you know, when I was standing rock and, um yeah i think that that relates back to you know not you know not being killed by the police or not being killed by a gang member like for me it's like it was that that point where i was like i'm i'm very proud that i didn't i'm very proud that i went beyond the expectations that i had yes and that other people had for me for example my teachers my teachers First of all, they probably hated me because I will always just not want to be in school. I I I actually dropped out of high school, um, and yeah, just I just I never liked school. And I think that a lot of a lot of the times I would at least look at these teachers and be like, why why don't you just embrace me? Mm. Like why don't you just embrace the fact that I'm that yeah I'm not gonna be that typical like Mexican kid who like is gonna be a gang member. Like mm-hmm. I'm gonna. I'm going to be reading about the Illuminati. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. societies and like watch the side guys a hundred times because that's what I want to do. Like, that's how I learn. And I think that a lot of it also had to do with my family, you know, like my family being like, you have to be a laborer, you know, you have to become, you know, you have to do what we did. And, and I said, well, I'm not going to die by the police. I'm not going to die by a gang member. I'm not going to become a laborer. I'm not going to become a slacker. Like I'm gonna become an artist, yeah, and and I'm gonna be, and it's gonna fulfill my purpose too, my mission. Like I feel like we will have a mission, and my mission, I think, as of right now, is to come and show us, like the light. You know, like mm-hmm. what does that look like? Yeah. You know, how can you do it with storytelling that is compelling and it's beautiful and it's also regenerative for the people in the image. You just brought a lot of light, man. You just brought yeah, a lot of light. You're shining lights, my friend. And we love you and we we honor you and we embrace you for who you are and what you've survived and what you are becoming. Um, you are bringing gifts and this this is a this hour with you is um, an incredible gift to us, two white middle class Jewish guys who 
have an entirely different story, um, but feel nothing but respect and love and honor for your story um, and for teaching us from your story how to better live our story. We, uh, we would like to invite you to share anything you wish as to how uh, our, our listeners can find you, your projects, they can support you. Please, anything you wish to share, do so at this point. Mm. Yeah, before I do that, I think I want to, one last thought that I had that is really important, I think, too. And I learned this from a teacher. Um, uh, her name is Liv, um, amazing, amazing teacher. She, she's, uh, she works with the Contumbly, um, the little people. And one time they talked about not being ashamed of speaking out about spirit. Because as I'm saying these things about my mission, as I'm saying these things about like who I am, what I'm here to do, there's is there's no shame in that anymore. I think that that we've been conditioned to be ashamed of who we are, and we've been conditioned to to fit in. And in that process, we've stepped on spirit, and mm-hmm. by and by spirit, I mean just whatever whatever you know inside of you when there's nobody else watching you, when nobody else listening to you and you deep down, you, you can, you know, that there's something else there. Um, I think that in the same process of unashamedly being speaking about spirit, we also have to um, remember who we are and also put our offerings for our ancestors. I think that, you know, we're talking about story here. We're talking about artistry. We're talking about photography. But a big part of who I am and a big part of why this work is effective is because I try my best to honor the ones that came before me and also to honor the ones that will come after me. I think that I think that that's really important in this moment, especially as we, you know, day one, 21 days. It's I, I really think we need to cut cut all the BS from our lives and and just be like, all right, it's okay for me to be who I am. I'm worth it. And I have, I have a value that can never be bought. A hundred percent. So with that being said, it's like, I can share about, you know, I'll share about a little bit about like indigenous TikTok. Cause I don't think I, we did too much with that, but indigenous TikTok, it's, it's a page that I curate. And um, as you look into you know, as you look into TikTok, you know, there's obviously, you know, just everything from, you know, climate change to weird things that are happening in the internet. Um, but one thing that I noticed with indigenous TikTok is that one, people are telling their own story. And then two, there is a big, there's a big shift there because, you know, people like professional photographers, professional filmmakers are not going to be needed the same way that we were needed. Like, five years ago, because we're still working in the paradigm of the 1920s, of right. the 1940s. So if you if we start thinking of the paradigm of 2100, then we can anticipate what that's going to look like. And I think what's going to happen is since we all have access to, most of us have access to these devices in, in a lot of countries, and as more people have access to these devices, like for example, like this, this woman in the Amazon, like she has a TikTok. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden she's teaching us about her life and she's teaching us about 
how she has like 20 monkeys that are her friends. And then you're like, wait, hold on. How come that guy, uh, Dogface, that, you know, the he he was like riding a skateboard. I don't know if you guys saw it. Like he's riding a skateboard and then yeah, he sings. Sure. Like, oh, yeah, you know, yeah. So that moment, it was the expect that times a thousand in the next few years. And where are our stories going to be in that? You know, that's why I like curating indigenous TikTok because I would much rather have a teacher in a high school be like, hey, we're learning about Native Americans this month because it's Native American month. Instead of reading that whack book that nobody cares about, <laughs> that you're probably right. not going to read, that you probably don't give a shit about, go on TikTok for an hour and look at all these TikToks. Right. Because that's the truth. Yeah. That's real. That's right now. Yeah, and I mean, if, if you look into, I mean, it gets you know, it's everything from some funny shit that like, like is super like funny, like oh my god, like we're laughing about ourselves to, hey, like I was an alcoholic and I was an addicted to like some crazy shit and I recover, to hey, my family might have COVID and I'm praying for them, so I'm doing a healing dance for them to, you know look at my dog like badass regalia you know and I look how cool I can dance so there's how can I say this like when I think about where I see the future for indigenous peoples around the world I don't I don't I don't want to just be like oh like you're the indigenous photographer that right. photographs indigenous peoples I'm like no I'm a, I'm a photographer I'm a storyteller because I feel like there's a there's a part of it that is like you know, that compassion that we can create for each other moving forward um, has to come from story. It's going to come from story. Nothing else is going to change this shit until we start telling the stories that need to be told, you know? Well, you said it at the top. You said it at the top. We're all indigenous. (laughs) I mean, let's be real. We're all just African. We're all Southern African. How I look at indigenous, it's, it's one, what are you nurturing? Like, you're in Costa Rica, you know, you're in the East Coast, right? Um, so, like, have you have you checked in with the people of the land? Have you checked in with the spirits of the land? Have you checked in with your nearest river? I have you, because, being at, you know, when I say we're all indigenous, I don't mean, oh, we all belong to a certain tribe. I mean, we, the earth is our freaking tribe. Right. <laughs> like, all our relations, including the animals, the trees, everything, it's our I mean, see, this is this this gets complicated and this can be controversial because there's two ways to look at it. Like, there's people that have, you know, have had their lineages and their tribes and their communities preserved for a long time, even despite colonization. And, like, it's really hard for somebody to just be like, oh, well, you know, I'm indigenous just because I reconnected with my spirit. Like, that's that's one way to look at it. But for a lot of folks, it's like, well, you know, for example, like, different tribes have different creation stories. Like, if that if the Diné think that, you know, their creation was a certain way and the Lakota think their creation was a certain way, like the Lakota people believe they came from the stars, you know, and that the buffalo gave up themselves for them to be able to to be. Um, my peoples, you know, they believe from the sun. Mm-hmm. So, so, so again, it, it, it's, 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 diff- it's, 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 it's new. I think it's a conversation that next year, in the next few years, just like we had like this awareness about like Black Lives Matter this year that I hope it continues and I hope it never goes away. 
we're going to have this understanding of like, wait, hold on. Oh, yeah, we have Native Americans. Oh, yeah, we have indigenous peoples. Wait, America is a continent. So if Native mm-hmm. America, you're saying Native America means like, you know, the, the Inca people from Peru. It means, you know, the, yep. the Maya from Guatemala, you know. Sure. And, and, then, then you, and then we start realizing that, oh, wait, hold on. So what about the people in Europe? Did they have tribes? And then you're like, wait, they, ha- they did have tribes. Yeah. Well, what happened to those tribes? And then we start realizing that a lot of our connection just goes back to the fact that we had peoples that were being stewards to the earth. Right and on. that's what I think indigenous means to me. You know, it can be, again, it, it's, it's complicated and a lot of people have different perspectives on it. Like, I also think that being in community, like, it's really important, you know? And that's interesting, too, because, you know, going back to, I don't want to be trite, but TikTok is that community now, you know, uh, mm-hmm. that you've found and is a, a cherished treasure. It's regenerative. It's regenerative. It's not extractive. And um, mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to getting in there and exploring more. Uh, all these links, by the way, uh, will be in the metadata in the uh, description of the show. So there's a lot of ways to connect uh, with Josue. Thank you so much for your time and your wisdom and your light. Yeah. No, th- thank you for letting me letting me be on this thing. I, you know, podcasts are interesting because it's like some of them are very uh, straightforward and some of them are, are much more, you know, flowy. And, and I feel like you know I was able to, to flow well on this one. Um, and yeah, thank you all for doing this because, you know, this is the kind of storytelling that I think we need at this moment is more and more regeneration of, of our own narratives. Yeah, couldn't say it better than that. We love you, Josue. We respect you. We, gra- we are grateful for you and your time and your future. Thank you for joining us on Swan Dive. Thank you. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to Swan Dive. If you like what you heard, please rate, review, and share this episode. Also, we are building a new season of Swan Dive. So if you or you know someone who has experienced a Swan Dive in their life, please hit us up and contact us through our website, www.swandive.us.